beautiful. You know what I, I really love about today? I love this. I love these kids up here dancing. It's like, uh, you know, it was said of uh, President Kennedy of his White House that he'd have all these dignitaries come and everything would come to the White House and the kids would be playing under the desk and stuff. And, and, and that's like, I think that's really the way it's supposed to be. Uh, I think when we get to heaven, we'll have that going on all the time. And uh, I hope it doesn't distract you because I kind of like it. Anyway, we have a special reader this morning. And um, you can remain standing for the reading of the word. Come up here, Isaiah, so they can see you. You take this, you speak right into it. And, and there you go, verse 6 right there. Train up a child in the way he should go. He should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. Amen. Amen. And that is, thank you. And that is Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 6. And uh, you can be seated. I thought it was such a great time to talk about this, about raising children. Of course, you look and say, oh, here's a guy that doesn't have children going to tell me about raising children. But uh, I'm not going to do that. I know better. Um, But I I do want to talk about something that's contained in this verse. It's a verse in Proverbs. And one thing about Proverbs, Proverbs are not really promises, okay? It's not a promise. Proverbs are precepts. Promises are patterns. Promises are ways that you do things. And when you do things the right way, it's good. When you do things the wrong way, it's not. And Proverbs lays out a bunch of these. And this, raise up a child, train up a child in the way they should go when they're old and not depart from it. It's, It's not a promise that you can rest on and say, you know, I... I I took my child to Sunday school, and I am assured that they're going to have a wonderful, beautiful, fruitful life of happiness and well-being, because that doesn't always happen. But it's a pattern that when you do things the right way, stuff happens. When you get married before you have children, it's better. When you get a job before you get married, that's even better, better. You know, there's certain things when you do them, they're good. And bringing children up before God is good. It is good for them. It is good for you. It is a fruitful thing. Because the Bible, and, and what I really want to talk about, the way I want to talk about it this morning, it, it gives a promise of fruitfulness. It gives a pattern of seed time and harvest, of sowing and reaping of planting, and then comes the bounty. And that implies work. We like to look at those verses and say, I'm planting seed, I'm doing this, and I'm expecting blessings to just come pouring my way. And they do, but oftentimes we don't look at the work involved. And when you're planting, when you're sowing, There's something about it that you have to sow wisely. 
if you took some seed and, and I gave everyone an, an apple seed today and you just went out in the parking lot and threw it, there's not a great likelihood, unless it went into one of those few cracks out there that we've got to fix, um, and even then, it's not a great likelihood that it's going to spring into a big apple tree. In fact, there's no likelihood, because if I see it popping up, I'm going to go pull it out. Uh, so sowing requires some, some diligence. It requires some work. It requires some strategic planning. It requires something on our part. Um, just sowing randomly doesn't really work well. But sowing with strategy, sowing wisely is very fruitful, and, but it, it requires work. A lot of things we like to see, and, but we have, to, we have to work that way. We look at things and we say, oh, how lucky a lot of times. We look at somebody with a, a really good job or a nice business or you know something, and we say, oh, how lucky, how lucky, how blessed you are to have that nice job or to have that nice business. But you know something? Luck is something that we have a lot to do with. There's a lot of perspiration in luck. There's a lot of sweat and hard work. There's a lot of investment. There's a lot of risk. There's a lot of schooling. There's a lot of all the things that go into making that luck work. Because it's really not luck. It's hard work. So sewing requires that. We, it's so easy to say, look how blessed this one is. Look how blessed their marriage is. Look how blessed they are because of the, the children, how well behaved they are. But you don't know behind the scenes how much time goes into that. You don't know how much effort went into, into that work of those, of those children, of that marriage, of that business, of that job, of the education that it took to get that job, of the sacrifice of not going out and, and going to the party and going to the beach and doing all the other things that everyone else did. But I sacrificed to get that education, to get that good job. All those things are things we oftentimes don't look at. But that's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about sowing and reaping. And I want to talk about sowing and reaping specifically as it relates to children. As it relates to training up a child in the way they should go, that when they're old, they don't depart from it. That they almost can't depart from it. Because we impart something into them. We, we show them something. We teach them something. We bring them up in a way that <coughs> the natural consequence of of seeing God move and seeing the actions of God in the family will cause them to naturally want to serve this God that they see moving. And so this verse starts it. But there's, there's others about planting and harvesting. The first thing I want us to notice here is the order. There is an order to it. When they're young, teach them when they're young, that when they're old, they will not depart from it. There's an order. When they're young comes first, and when they're old comes later. There's always an order to how you do things. There's a story of a widow in 1 Kings, and she, was, she had nothing left. It was a time of famine. It was a time of great poverty in the land. And all she had left was a little bit of meal and a little teeny-weeny bit of oil left. And, but the message of God came to her and said, 
the prophet is going to come to you, and I want you to take care of him when he comes. So she went out and gathered sticks. But then when he came, she told the rest of the story, and the story was she gathered two sticks. Why only two sticks? Because all it takes is two sticks to cook the little bit of meal that she had. But she went out and gathered the sticks. And then when the prophet Elijah came to her house and said, okay, I'm here and I want you to make me a cake. And she said, you know, I, I appreciate that. And I would love to do that. But I only have this much oil and this much meal. I don't have enough to make a cake. I have enough to make about a half of a Kentucky Fried Chicken biscuit. That's all that I have. And, and I'm going to have that, me and my son, and then we're going to die because there's nothing else. And he said, that's okay, but I'll tell you what. Make me a cake first. Now, that really doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. I don't have enough for a cake. I don't have enough for a half a cake. Johnny cake, little, little biscuit kind of cake. But you're telling me, go ahead and make me one first. But he relented, and then she finally relented and said, okay, I'll make you a cake. So she took the little meal, she took the oil, and she prepared the cake, and she gave it to him. And the miracle in this, the provision of God, was that the oil never ran out. And the meal never ran out. For years, for the rest of the, fa- of the, the, the famine in the land, the oil always had oil. And the meal always had meal. She had to go out, though, and get the sticks. Now, the oil didn't fill up the bottle. She didn't go from, I got this much, to I have an overabundance and I can go out and sell it. That's another story. (laughs) There is one of those, but that's another one. But the provision of God happens on a daily basis. Manna came in the wilderness every day. And provision comes every day. And the reason it comes every day is so that we can always depend on God and we can look for him to supply our needs. And we don't see things afar off way down the road. We don't have barrels of supply that we can turn our backs on God. It comes every day. And the manna, if you took two days worth, it would go bad, it would rot, it would get wormy. So here she is. She makes a cake for him first, and it multiplies, and there's enough for her. Just enough for every day. The order is, she did what she was asked to do first, and then the provision came. But there's things that happened before that. And when we come to looking at this sowing and reaping principle that and, and it's a principle that's all over. In the world, we call it what goes around comes around. The New Age folks will call it comma. We call it what the Bible says in Galatians chapter 6. Be not deceived. God's not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. Whether you sow to the flesh or whether you sow to God. And so this principle, but there's something about this principle that's not just sowing and reaping. It's the work that's in sowing is what I want to talk about this morning. 
when we sow into our children the things of God, when we, when we bring them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord, when we tell God who they are, well, that's one thing. But there's work involved, just like that woman in Kings had to go out and gather sticks and she was gathering sticks. There's some work involved in that. It's not just being nice. We preach to them and we teach them. And it's easy to preach and teach with your mouth. Talk is cheap, isn't it? Words are cheap. Words are so cheap that some people use so many of them that they mean so little because they're so cheap. They just fly right out of your mouth. They don't mean a thing. But to teach children because they seen, have seen you. To teach children when it's hard and they see you praying and they catch you praying. Not when you're doing it necessarily in front of them, but they catch you praying. When they see you reading the Bible and seeing what God has to say to you. When they see you under pressure and stress and you're not flying off the handle and hitting somebody with a hammer or a hatchet or whatever, you pick your favorite weapon. I pick mine. Um, and, they, and they see you dealing with stuff and not flying off the handle. When they notice you and they see you and they see a difference between you and somebody else's dad down the street or someone else's mom who is not having a hard time coping and is taking a little something to kind of take the edge off, which just really makes it worse. They see things. There's work involved in sowing. It's not just easy talking, throwing seed, and expecting a bountiful harvest. There's work involved. When I plant, I don't just put stuff in the ground. When I planted my blueberries, I, I had to prepare the soil. Blueberries need very acidic soil. If you put them in soil that doesn't have the right acid content, you just don't get blueberries. You just have bush. All bush, no berry. I like berries. I like blueberries in my pancakes, blueberries in my muffins. I like to freeze blueberries and make chocolate milkshakes with them. I, I like berries. So I took the soil, I dug it all out, and I put the stuff in it to make it acid because they want acid. There's work that goes before the sowing. It's not all that easy. There's work involved. Sowing requires work. It requires preparation. The woman in, in Kings had to go out and gather sticks. The prophet's coming. I don't have but this much meal. I don't have but this much oil. But I'll go out, I'll gather some sticks because I'm going to be ready when he comes. Being ready and to plant, being ready to sow is the first part. And our, our sowing sometimes is not profitable because we don't prepare to sow. We just haphazardly sow. Preparation in sowing is valuable. Time spent in, in learning, time spent in praying, time spent in school, time spent staying up all night when no one knows about it, time spent being there on weekends and holidays uh, to try to get a business off the ground, time spent in things that no one else see that prepares the ground for the blessings of God. When they built the ark, 
The blessing was that the spirit of God moved on the animals and brought them in. But if the ark wasn't finished, if the food wasn't in there, if it wasn't pitched already inside and outside, what would happen if the animals came? If you hadn't prepared the soil and you're praying for the blessing, so the sun comes and the rain comes, all it does is harden that soil to cement. The work comes before the blessing. And if the blessing comes and you haven't done the work, you're stuck. It's really not a blessing. It's a curse. The work comes first. The work is what we do. And then comes the process. So the first one was the order. What comes first? The first thing comes work. Preparing for the blessing of God. The second thing is looking at the order. We can't expect If we don't sow, don't expect a harvest. We've got a plant. I have an orchard on the side of my house on the other side. And you're all thinking I have a big yard right now. But it's it's about the size of one row. It's a spalliard planting. They grow up like this and you you cut off this side, you cut off this side. So it's like a candelabra. And I put them along the fence and they all kind of grow, weave into each other. So I have uh, have like eight, I have like nine or 10 fruit trees on the side of my house, on the fence. They take up about two feet, and, and that's it. And they all intertwine. And I planted all different kind of apples. I planted, I have peaches, I have plums, I have pears at the shop. But, I, uh, but there I planted all these apples, and I have Cortland apples, and I have red delicious and golden delicious and Macintosh apples. I have Honeycrisp apples. I have some other kind of apples and uh, apples for making pie, and apples for eating off the tree, and apples for throwing at cars, and <laughs> apples for stuff. You know, I have all these apples. And, and I planted them, and I prepared the ground, and I haven't got any apples yet. When I planted my grapes, I didn't even have the deck. At the end of my deck, I put a big arbor on this, a trellis on the side of it. And two years before I move the deck out to where the grapes were. I had planted the grapes because I want the roots to go down deep. I want the grapes established. So I planted them and put little cinder blocks around them, which made my wife really happy. And, and, I, and I cut them off, kept cutting them off because I wanted the roots to go down. And when I finally expanded the deck, which did make my wife happy, the grapes were established and they grow and the whole side of my deck is an arbor full of grapes and I had to plant things early and prepare and work because I wanted the fruitful blessing later and that's how planting and sowing is we invest today for something later we sacrifice today for something later we pour in now with an expectation of a blessing and I'll, and I'll tell you something else I don't want one blessing All my apples don't come ripe at the same time. They come ripe at various times. My blueberry bushes, I have early ones, then the next one, the early ones come in June, then the next one is the end of June, then the middle of July, then the end of July almost into September. I don't want all my blueberries at once. I can't eat that many at once. I might be able to, but I don't want to. So I plant different varieties so that I have them continuously. When we're sowing, 
We want our sowing to be continuous so that our reaping is continuous. We don't sow one time and expect provision through the whole year. We sow continuously. We sow early wheat. We sow later wheat. We're always sowing so that our blessing is continuously coming. The same thing with the apples. The same thing with our life. We sow continuously so that we're blessed continuously. So that the harvest is continuously. And what do we sow? Well, the second thing about sowing, the first is the order that it comes in. And the second is that it comes after its own kind. When I plant apple seeds, I get apples. When I plant grapes, I get grapes. Whatever I plant, I get the same thing after its kind. If I plant bitterness, if I'm mean, if I'm grumpy, if I'm... I get... The third law is you get a lot more than you sow. So if I'm... I really get a whole lot of it. And I don't like it. So I try to sow a smile. Scripture says, a gentle word turns away wrath. And sometimes a nice attitude and a smile and being a little laid back goes a whole long way when dealing with somebody that their first primary language is aggression and aggravation and strife and contention. When you deal with them and you're nice and you smile and you don't show like, let's go, and you're nice. You might keep your hands up, but they're nice. You defuse. You defuse. We get what we sow. When we sow mean, we get mean back. When we sow friendly, we get friendly back. When we sow love, we get love back. When we sow into our family, when we sow compassion, when we sow grace, when we sow forgiveness, we get that back. People that have no grace, they get no grace. I need grace. I need a lot of grace. You know what that makes me know? I have to be gracious. I'm not. Don't be quick to condemn. Because you can't afford it. (laughs) You can't. I can't. The things we sow are what we get back. So we want to sow, and sowing into our family, we want to sow time. We want to sow quality time. We want to sow compassion. We want to sow our children that, that love is, is what reigns in our house, not strife. You got strife? Get rid of it. Because you don't want to put it and raise up a generation. You know, there's something they call a generational curse. It's well documented. Um, the Bible, we call it generational curse, but it's well documented. There are case studies of families that start with a root of a bad person. Little bad boy. Grows up, has a little bad family. Those children grow up and they have their own little bad families. And further on and further on and further on, you, you track the genealogy of these folks and, and starts out from one little bad boy. Pretty soon you have, you know, how many murderers, who's in jail for this, who's in jail for that. Uh, how many people are thieves, how many horse thieves, car thieves, train robbers, and bank robbers, and it just goes on and on. 
And then there's this, the same story tells of the other family, and I wish I could remember the name. And, uh, and out of that family came doctors and judges and, and people of renown and people that were respected and people that had great reputations because it started with the one little good boy. Uh, one of my favorite little stories of Mark Twain is the good boy and the bad boy. I like the bad boy story the best, but that's because I relate to him more. But it's just, we get what we sow. And what we sow into our family, is it goes beyond us. And we don't need to have generational curses. People that have a way that I saw, you know, uh, a, a parent come home drunk and liquored up and, 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 and beat his wife and beat the children... And then those children grow up, and that's what they know, and they do the same thing, and it just perpetuates, and it spreads, and it causes a problem. And that's a generational curse. That's what it is. People learn that behavior. But you know something? Generational blessing works the same way. A friend of mine told me, he said, when when he got married, they sat together, and they said, yeah, we came out of dysfunctional, but we're changing all that. We're accepting God. We have God in our life. We are making commitment that right now ends that lifestyle. Right now ends that generational curse. Right now ends that pattern of craziness. We're beginning a new pattern. That's what life in Christ does. It brings us to a place where we can make a new pattern and begin anew. And so now when we have our family and we have our children... We say, I'm not doing all of the things that I learned at home. Many were good. Some were bad. In some homes, many were bad. And only one or two were good. But that doesn't matter. Because when we come to Christ, he says he makes all things new. And we have the power. He says, as many as receive him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God. To become the sons of God. To walk in, to live in, to become the sons of God. To walk in a new heritage. The power to be new. And so we change things up and say, in my house, we will serve the Lord. In my house, there won't be no anger of hitting out of anger. Not the best way to say it, not poetic and doesn't flow well, but hitting out of anger works, I guess. We all get it. You know? We won't do that in my house. There will no be no fists. There will be grace. There will be prayer. There will be forgiveness. There will be mercy. There will be understanding. There will be teaching. There will be correction. There will be correction. But it will be good correction. Some people, and I know I have known some. Because they, came, they went too far. They swung so far, they swung right off the edge. They said, because I grew up in a home full of abuse, I was going to have no correction in my, my family. There's a way to raise a cane, and that's a way to do it. That's a way to do it. And I'm going to let my children do whatever they want. And, and when they're old enough, they can decide. Well, I suppose that's okay if you do it across the board. But if your children say, I'm not going to school... Because uh, I want to stay home and watch TV all day, do you let them? If they say I'm not eating anything but Twinkies, or I'm going on a Twinkie diet, just all I'm going to eat is Twinkies for three years, that's all I want is Twinkies, and if I really have to have a balanced diet, I'll have some peanut M&Ms on the side. (laughs) But we don't let them do that either. 
If they say I want to go into stores and they want to just take anything I want off the shelves because I like it, because that doll had a beautiful dress, so I climb up on the shelf and I grab that doll and just take it out and and stuff it in my big giant booster coat and walk out. We don't let them do that. Most most people don't. There's a few. Um, We don't let them. So why, with the most important decision in their life, do we say, I'll let them grow. When they get of age, they can decide. We don't let them do that or anything else that's important because we're telling them it's not important. We, we get what we sow. And so when we come to God, we, we want to, not, number one, look at the order and do the work first. Number two, we sow in kind. What we sow is what we get. We sow this kind, we get the same kind. And then number three, we get abundantly more than what we sow. If I sow one apple seed, how many apples do I get off that tree? When it grows big and fills out, how many bushels do I get off one apple tree? A lot. When I was a kid, I used to go up the apple orchard and, well when I wasn't stealing apples, I used to work for them. And I would pick apples. I had one of those pointy ladders I'd go up, they had the bucket that used to go on you, and I would pick apples. And, and um, it was great, because you didn't have to steal them, you could eat all you want. And, um, and I would pick all day long, probably make $3, but that was then, and, and, and unload all these apples. But from one seed made one tree, that gave hundreds and hundreds of apples. And it didn't only give hundreds of apples one year. It wasn't like a zucchini plant that I plant. And I just get zucchini that year. So many zucchini, I give them away. So many I give away, I wonder, are they even eating these things? Are they throwing them at cars because I'm just giving so many away? (laughs) But no, apples continue year after year after year after year. And those apples contain seeds. And if those seeds are planted, there's even more and more. That's the law of sowing and reaping. It, it, number one, it has to be sown, and it has to be sown in good soil. That requires work. Number two, it repeats after its own kind. It makes its own kind. Apples make apples. But number three, it is, it is harvested in an abundance. What we sow in a little reaps a lot. That widow had only a little. She had enough for a half of a Kentucky Fried Chicken Biscuit. But when she gave that what she had, it fed her through the whole famine. No one else had food. Maybe the kings had it because they had the power to tax. They could be like, hey, you're the horrible tax collector. Shake people upside down. But no one else had it. But she had it. Had it in abundance. But you know what else happened? You get what you sow, right? In kind. That was the second point. But you get an abundance. But I didn't tell you the rest of the story with that woman in Kings. Later, her son died. And she went to Elijah the prophet and said, I wish you'd never come to me. We were going to eat that little half of Johnny cake and we were going to die and that would have been the end of it. You gave us, multiplied the food. We gave you what you had. You multiplied it. Here we are. We've we've made it through the famine. But now my son has died. I wish you would never have even come. Your blessing was really not a blessing. What good is it to me? 
I would that I would have died back then. And so Elijah went in and he healed, not healed, he raised him from the dead. He raised the son back up and presented him to her. And even though we sow in kind and reap the same kind, we don't always have all the kinds that we need. She gave everything that she had. She only had a little. She didn't have experience to go to the hospital and donate her time in the medical field. She didn't have experience to go to the the. The, the resurrection place where they have resurrections on a regular basis and donate her time there. She couldn't sow resurrection. She could only sow what she had. But because she sowed what she had, the abundance to her was not only after its kind. Sowed food, get food. Sow bread, get bread. But it was more expansive than that. Because she sowed what she had, her son was brought back to life. When we sow the little that we have, the reaping comes back in other ways as well. And our needs are met. And I'm not talking, this is not a a money message here. It does apply to money. But it's not really where I'm going with this. We have a lot of needs. We equate them oftentimes to money. But this is a a child's dedication, service. We have, when you get a phone call at 12 o'clock at night to come and pick up your child at the police station because they got caught doing, when somebody drops your kid at the door and rings the doorbell and runs away. It is not the time to sow. It is the time to reap. And if we're sowing and reaping in one area, God makes the difference in the other areas. And when someone leaves your child on the doorstep and rings the doorbell and they take off, doesn't mean that uh, 50 years later, they might not be standing in a pulpit somewhere (coughs) telling you about sowing and reaping. (laughs) Yeah. Donna's like, I know everything I learn about this guy, I learn when he's teaching or preaching. There's a reason for that, baby. (laughs) The goodness of God isn't always on our time schedule. The fruit doesn't come on our time schedule. I'm still waiting on my apples. I haven't gotten an apple yet. I got some plums the first year I put them in because they were, they were already half grown when I put the tree in. I haven't gotten plums last year. I'm getting grapes and they're getting bigger every year. My blueberries haven't come in yet. They're still small. They're taking time. But you know something? I didn't plant stuff because I wanted instant. I planted stuff so that when I get old, because I'm not really all the way there yet, when I get old, I can walk out in my yard and I can pick and harvest and eat the bounty of what I planted as, you know, a younger man. The things, don't wait. Don't wait to sow. 
Don't wait to plant. Don't wait until there's trouble to start sowing and, and, and investing in the lives of our children, in our families. Don't wait until calamity strikes. Don't wait until there's a problem. Don't wait until it's too late or you think it's too late. Don't wait. Start sowing early. Start preparing ground. Start preparing for the blessings of God. Because if you haven't prepared when the blessings come, you won't be ready for it. Start building a storehouse. There's a story of the marriage supper at Cana in John chapter 2. And Jesus was invited to the wedding. And he still comes to weddings. And they ran out of wine. And there were six pots. And there were, I don't know how much was in them. But he told the guys, put water in these pots. It says they filled them to the brim. They could have made them half full. They could have made them three quarters full. They could have said, and that's enough. But they made them full to the brim. And because they made them full to the brim, when it turned to wine, how much wine do you think they had? When you sow, 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 get ready for an abundance. But the abundance is limited by the amount that we sow. If you sow one seed, you're going to wait a long time. And if some bad little child comes by and wants apple wood for his smoke pit and he cuts down your tree, you're going to have to plant a whole nother tree. Spread some seed around. Plant some orchards. Seed is cheap. Seed is cheap. And when you, when you reap that harvest, keep some of that seed back so that you can plant some more and keep a cycle going. Plant into your family. Plant into your, your children. Plant into the extended family. Grandparents, plant into your children. Plant into your grandchildren. Plant into your Godchildren. Plant godliness. Not with what you say, but what you do. Let them see your behavior. Let them see what the, the product of a godly life is. Let them see how you deal with stress. Hopefully it's good. Let them see the goodness of God in your life. The greatest testimony to the power of God is a changed life. Anybody can talk. Not anybody can change your life. Some of us come out of pure knucklehead. Pure crazy. Don't think that's not a reason for that. That's a testimony to what God did. If you were a little good boy and grew up, God bless you. But if you were a pure knucklehead, crazy, half a nut. Now you're grown up. Now people can see you and look and say, that's the power of God. It wasn't wasted. It's not wasted. The hard times, the knucklehead ways, all those things. You think, oh, I wish I didn't go through. I wish I didn't go through it either. But you know something? It's a testimony of the power of God. There's nothing hard we go through that God doesn't use for something. He makes us a witness of his goodness, of his grace. All that crazy, all that dysfunctional stuff. It's all so we can relate to someone else. It's all so we can show someone else. This is what God does. You're crazy too, right? Yeah, we're both crazy, yeah. Well, this is what God does. God fixes crazy. I know all about crazy. 
You know, he doesn't, he doesn't work only on that side of the tracks. On that side of the tracks, you can't really, I mean, it's really, a, it's really a secret that that side of the tracks is just as crazy as our side. But they just put on a little better. So, but he fixes, that's what he does. And we have to do our part. And our part is sowing. Our part is preparing. Our part is sowing the right kind. And our part is sowing the right amount. And sowing continuously. That the blessings of God are continuous. And that sowing is sowing. And I, and I pray. I pray, Rob. I pray, Davina. I pray the whole family. I pray as we have little Yvonne with us that we sow into her continuously. A lifetime of sowing. Sowing love. Sowing respect. Sowing the goodness of God. Sowing the grace of God. Sowing the knowledge of who God is and, and his love. Sowing all those wonderful things. Letting her see as she grows up a father that loves her, a mother that loves her, and a mother and father that love each other. A family that is functional, a family that's right. We put behind us every generational nuttiness, every, everything from behind. We only take the good. Because you got a day right now. If you haven't done it already, and you probably have, but if you haven't, right now is your day to say, we forget generational curse. We're making generational blessing. We're making generational blessing. And each one of us today, we're making generational, breast, generational blessing today. I'm starting something new, and I'm sowing some seed that's going to produce and produce goodness. Stand with me.